1: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is for
2: with every sunrise. The fish gate is a reminder that even as Jesus called fishermen to follow him and says, I will make you fishers of men. That's what he calls us to be as well. There is a responsibility and a privilege for us to go out and be fishermen and fisherwomen and to be gathering people into the kingdom as much as it depends on us to share the good news of Christ so that as many people as possible might come to faith in him. That's why it goes well with the sheep gate, because Jesus is the only sacrifice for our sins. He dies, and then once we become saved, we are to go out and be fishers of men. This
1: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? For some of us, speaking up can be intimidating, especially when it comes to sharing our faith. What if they reject it? Pastor Gary encourages us in today's teaching that it's not our responsibility to save people. That's God's job. All he asks us to do is cast the net. As we learn about Nehemiah and the repair of the fish gate, it reminds us of the Great Commission. Whether you're a great evangelist or a great speaker or Bible savvy or not, we're all called to be fishers of men. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah chapters 2 through 3 for part 2 of today's message titled, Examining Our Gates, Jesus and Evangelism.
2: Elders would gather at the city gates and they would discuss and plan and strategize concerning war. Jesus even makes a reference to this allegorically in Matthew chapter 16 when Peter makes the great confession of who he is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then says, based on this confession, not on Peter, based on this confession, upon this rock will I build my church and what? And the gates of hell will not prevail. He's speaking about how even the darkest, most demonic strategies against the church will not prevail. The gates, the place where war strategies were discussed and planned, will not prevail against the church. So gates were important and significant. And as such, if they were in a state of disrepair, it reflected on public life, their daily public life. Gates were important to just daily public life. So, as we look at these gates, let me give you first an outline. This is a rough outline of Nehemiah's Jerusalem, the city on top of Mount Moriah, and the temple was in the center to the north. That had already been built now under Ezra, so that's in place, but all the perimeter walls are in a state of disrepair, and the gates are not on their hinges. There were, during Nehemiah's day, and we're going to read them in chapter 3, ten gates, and this is the general location of each of those ten gates. When they started repair, it was very methodical. There was an order to this. And they started, we will see here, with the sheep gate at the northern northeastern tip of the city, and they repair each gate going in a counterclockwise direction. So that's what we're going to see in chapter three. It was very specific. And again, we're going to look at these gates, their names, their purpose, and see the modern correlation today. So we're going to start with, in fact, the sheep gate. That's here in chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me, if you would, please. Nehemiah 3, verse 1 and 2. It says, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests, and note that, note who's listed here, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur son of Imri, built next to him. So, each gate is named, each gate has a purpose. First gate is the Sheep Gate. The purpose of the Sheep Gate was that any time a worshiper came to the city of Jerusalem, For the purpose of offering a lamb at the temple, they were required to go through the sheep gate. All sheep brought as sacrifices at the temple of the Lord had to go through the sheep gate, which is the reason why, if you noticed, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests built the sheep gate because of its very sacred significance. The priests were building this gate because this was the sole gate through which worshipers would come with their lambs to the temple of the Lord to be sacrificed. Now, why is this important? One of the things I want to try to do always when I step up to the pulpit is to make sure that I'm addressing a broad cross-section of people who are both seasoned saints. Some of you have been Christians for many, many years. You're seasoned saints. you got moss growing on the north side of your body. That's how seasoned you are. And then some of you are relatively new in your faith or you're not a Christian at all and you've been brought here by a friend. So this is all new to you. And I want to make sure that we understand the same language and understand terminology. So let me just break down to you why the Sheep Gate was significant in Old Testament times. Every person needed to make atonement for their sins. I'm going to break that word down for you in a minute. But here's the basic overview. Every person needed to make atonement for their sins, because every person by their sin nature is separated from God. Because we're not holy enough, righteous enough, good enough. And so God made gracious provision under the Old Covenant, or what we call our Old Testament, which outlines all this. He made gracious provision for people to be atoned for, for people to connect with Him and have fellowship with Him and have their sins forgiven. And that provision was the sacrifice of a lamb. And here's how it would work. If you were a male, 21 years of age or older, you would bring your personal lamb through the sheep gate to the temple for yourself or on behalf of your whole family. When you brought your lamb through the sheep gate, you would take it to the temple, and there you would lay the weight of your body onto the head of that lamb. It would signify the transference of your guilty life onto this innocent animal, onto this innocent life. You would then lay the weight of your body on the head of this lamb, and then you would assist in slitting the throat of this lamb, and a priest would be there with the basin to gather the blood that would be drained from the neck of that lamb. Then the priest would take that blood and sprinkle it on the altar to make atonement for your life. It is the concept of one life in exchange for another, an innocent life, the lamb in this case on behalf of a guilty life, the worshiper who came for himself or on behalf of his family. And that innocent life would be accepted by God as a substitution for the sinful life of the worshiper offering it. And that's atonement. Now, atonement is kind of a theological term, and a lot of times people don't normally use this in everyday vocabulary or conversation. And I'm going to break the word down for you in its simplest form. And this is rather crude and i don't mean that in a improper way i just mean you know in a very raw form but to understand atonement and you'll never forget this again when you look at it this way break it down into three parts at one at one because atonement is really the process of being reconciled to god becoming if you will at one with him Now, it's not in the sense that you become God, you become, you know, like God. It is the sense you become at one with Him, at peace with Him, in harmony with Him, in right relationship with Him, that you are right with Him. That's atonement. It is the process of being made right with God, becoming, if you will, at one with Him. Now, for centuries, people would be bringing their lambs through the sheep gate, for centuries, because that was the provision that God made until the perfect time. When his son Jesus, when God would send his son into the world as the perfect sacrifice of all sacrifices. That's why the book of Hebrews says that when Jesus dies for us on the cross, sheds his blood, he dies once for all. Meaning once for all time and once for all people. No more does she have to be offered as atonement for the sins of the people because Jesus comes, dies on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, sheds his blood. Listen, the concept hasn't changed, just the methodology. The concept is still the same. God requires an innocent life on behalf of the guilty. But what happened is the sacrifice of sheep were put in place until the perfect time that the Son of God could be revealed and now in his innocent life, he dies on a cross so that his innocent life would be given as the great exchange for our guilty lives. That's why 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And he became, 1 John 4.10 says that Jesus became, it says this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus became the atonement now for the sins of the whole world so that as many as believed him to them that received him, he gave the right to become sons of God. Hear me on this. This is why John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is why Paul referred to Jesus as our Passover lamb. This is why Isaiah, the prophet looking forward to Messiah said, he's like a lamb led to slaughter. It is why John the Apostle in Revelation 5, 12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Jesus is the perfect Lamb who died for the sins of the world. It is the reason why in the book of Revelation that Jesus uses the word Lamb as the title for himself more than any other description. 31 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb. Because he would come, shed his blood, die for us as that sacrifice to take away our sins and by Jesus we can be atoned. By Jesus we can be atoned. And through him. Jesus even said in John 10 verse 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Okay? All who enter that gate will be saved. John 10 verse 9. So Jesus even declares it about himself. I am the entry point. I am the way to be saved. Now, This is important for us to understand, and I'll tell you why. Because we live in a very pluralistic society with universal thought. And our culture will tell you that there are many paths to get saved. And the world will say to you that all religions are the same, just different ways to get to God. And the world will tell you that if you're just a good enough person, you're good to go. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And when he said that, He eliminated various paths, multiple ways, and human effort to get to God, and he declared himself with an exclusive claim that he and he alone is the only way to be saved and get to God. So here's why the Sheep Gate is an important reminder for us, because Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, and we will continue to present Christ as the only way to be saved so that as many people as possible can hear it, receive it, believe it, and be saved. Can I hear an amen? amen that is important and so as we look at the sheep gate in terms of its modern application as we continue with all these points through ezra and nehemiah maybe you're taking notes but maybe i'll review them at the end of all this but it's point number 11 if you're keeping track with all the numbers and it's this that the sheep gate reminds us of jesus and that we will continue to present jesus we must continue to present jesus as the only way to be saved you know people are free to reject the claims of christ and even dismiss him as a lunatic i mean that would be tragic but people are free to do that but you cannot accept the claims of jesus and also believe in multiple paths to god It is inconsistent with what he says. And you are duplicitous in your thinking if you believe that you can accept what Jesus says in part, but also believe that there are multiple ways to get to God. Neither can you accept what Jesus says a little bit and reject the other parts because then you make him out to be a liar. Jesus makes exclusive claims. Truth is exclusive and we will continue no matter how the world might look at us as narrow-minded or short-sighted or whatever in regards to the way to be saved. You know, the way to be saved is open to all. It is open to all. The arms of Jesus are extended to all, okay? But there is one way, and that way is Jesus. And we will always proclaim that way, that people might come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the second gate here that we're going to look at, and the only other one today, is the next one going counterclockwise from the sheep gate. We come to the fish gate of all things. Yeah, it's chapter 3, verse 3. It says, The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. So, second gate to get repaired is this gate called the fish gate. Now, the purpose of the fish gate, kind of similar to the sheep gate. If you have fish, you bring it only through the fish gate. Now, this was particularly important for the fishermen of the Sea of Galilee, because what would happen is the fishermen around the Sea of Galilee would bring their fish to Jerusalem, And you had to go only through the fish gate in order to bring your fish to market for people to sell. So if you want to buy fish, you go to the fish gate. And now this is smart, folks, all right? Because, listen, you bring fish into a city, we don't want to stink up the whole city. So you people who bring in fish, you have one gate and one gate alone. Don't be bringing them through the sheep gate. Don't be bringing them through any other gate. You have fish to sell, you bring them only through the fish gate, and we'll tell people to come to you. So that's what they would do. Now, fishing was a major livelihood in the day. And fish was the main staple of the diet. You know, there's a lot of reference to lamb, and people have this misconception that the Jews ate lamb chops all the time. They rarely had lamb, and usually only once a year at Passover. The main diet of the Jews at this time was fish. Fish, fruit, vegetables, that was it. The Mediterranean diet, that's what it was. A lot of olive oil, some bread, but this was it. Now, fishing, major livelihood major diet, there are 19 native fish of the Sea of Galilee, 19 different species native to the Sea of Galilee. The most common one and the most prolific one is tilapia, also known as Saint Peter's fish. there in the Sea of Galilee. On a good year, today, on a good year, the Israelis will pull 250 tons of tilapia out of the Sea of Galilee every year. When I lead the tours of Israel, one of the places we stop is to have lunch at a kibbutz right on the Sea of Galilee, and they will offer you tilapia or St. Peter's fish. They present it to you, eyeballs and all. And I always encourage people, look, if you could possibly do this, do it. Otherwise, they offer you like spaghetti or something. And you know, I mean, you can get spaghetti anywhere, right? You're on the sea of galley. Who wants to go home and say, on the Sea of Galilee, I had spaghetti? So I encourage people, get the tilapia, get the St. Peter's fish, and just be careful, you know, spit out the bones, kind of like life, right? You don't indulge everything. You spit out the bones. But this is it. And so it's quite the experience. Remember, when Jesus called his disciples, Many of them were fishermen. In fact, four were fishermen, and as many as seven may have been fishermen. We know four for sure because the Bible tells us that Peter, James, John, and Andrew were all fishermen. And in fact, when Jesus calls them to follow him, they were fishing. In Matthew 4, you don't need to turn, I'll read to you. It says in verse 18 that as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus says in verse 19, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus says to them, You have something more important than just making a living. You need to make a life. You need to go out and you need to be fishers of people. You need to bring people into the kingdom. This is an important concept. The parallel of the fish gate simply says this to us, that when we become followers of Jesus Christ... We are called to also go out and gather other followers for Jesus Christ. At the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples. So the fish gate is a reminder that even as Jesus called fishermen to follow him and says, I will make you fishers of men, that's what he calls us to be as well. There is a responsibility and a privilege for us to go out and be fishermen and fisherwomen and to be gathering people into the kingdom as much as it depends on us to share the good news of Christ so that as many people as possible might come to faith in him. That's why it goes well with the sheep gate because Jesus is the only sacrifice for our sins. He dies and then once we become saved, we are to go out and be fishers of men we're to go out and do likewise to bring people into the kingdom jesus even used a parable to describe how people are like fish in the sea and that we are called to go out and gather them listen to the parable it's matthew 13 i'll read it to you just three verses once again jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. And then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now listen to what he says there, because Jesus talks about the world being like a lake or a sea full of fish. He says a a net is cast Down into the lake, and all kinds of creatures, all kinds of fish, he says. But please note, it is not our responsibility to get them saved. Okay, only God can save a soul. All right, it is not our place either to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. He says the angels will do that at the end of the age. We don't have the dexterity to decide who is saved and who isn't. That isn't our place. Our responsibility is to cast the net, cast the net. And let God sort it all out. And in this net, Jesus says, there's going to be all kinds of fish. And when you look around your world, place where you work, your neighborhood, your schools, there's some strange sea creatures out there, friends. (laughs) Okay? there's some strange sea creatures out there some of you people work with some sharks some people who are like you know you hear the sound when they come walking down the hall you know their fin is cutting the water and you know oh great they're coming after me and you feel their vicious attacks all the time you work with some sharks in fact you describe your whole office environment like this everybody's after me i live in a shark tank you know but god says but cast the net. I love those sharks too. Some of you are like, I don't even like the people I work with. Well, Jesus died for them too though. Okay. Some of you work with puffer fish. So gentle just ready to kiss you it looks like it's a puppy fish really but it's a puffer fish and you know some people like this that you work with they're so nice to you they're so kind to you hey you want to get a cup of coffee i'd love to get a cup of coffee oh this is so nice of you here's my story what's your story they are nice to you until you cross them and then the day you cross them that puffer fish does what it does It's like, who do you think you are? And then all the sharp, jagged edges come up. (laughs) Gee whiz, I just want to have a cup of coffee with you. I didn't mean to insult you in the process. Yeah, yeah, well, you didn't. You said that about, (laughs) I'm wounded. You work with some of them. Puffer fish. God says, cast the net. I love them too. And some of you work with a flounder. It has two eyes on the same side of its head two eyes on the same side of its head now if you didn't know this here's some free information when a flounder is first born it has one eye on one side of its head and one eye on the other okay but over the course of its life as it grows up one eyeball migrates to the other side of its head so that then it can lay down on the ocean floor and wait for food to come to it do you work with people like this they don't want to do anything. They're just lying around. They just hope work finds them. <laughs> you know, I really don't have any ambition. I don't want to be here. Maybe the work will find me. Oh, oh, you work with some flounders. That's why they're called flounders. They just flounder around. And God says, listen, cast the net. It's not your job to get them saved, not your job to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. It's just our job to cast the net, and God will sort it all out. Amen? Amen? So it's the last point here on this list. Number 12 for today, the fish gate reminds us of evangelism, that we must continue to cast the net so that others might come to faith in Jesus. Cast the net, church. Where you work, where you go to school, in your neighborhood, God will help you. Some people feel intimidated to share the good news because they just feel like I'm going to stumble over my words. God will help you. You'll be surprised. How God will help you and use you for his glory to bring other people into the kingdom. Let's cast our nets for his glory.
1: NEHEMIAH FACED A DAUNTING TASK OF LEADING ONE OF THE WAVES OF RETURNING EXILES AND REBUILDING THE WALLS OF JERUSALEM. THE WORK WAS HARD AND SLOW AND FILLED WITH SETBACKS AND STRUGGLES, INCLUDING ENEMIES WHO CAME UP AGAINST THEM. THE GREAT THING ABOUT NEHEMIAH WAS THAT HE WASN'T A PRIEST AND HE WASN'T A LEVITE. IN FACT, HE WASN'T IN PROFESSIONAL MINISTRY IN ANY WAY. YOU MAY NOT BE A PASTOR, BUT GOD CAN USE YOUR EXPERIENCE AND WILLINGNESS ALL THE SAME. Who knows what amazing things he may have in store for you if you'll open yourself to his leading and step out in faith. You have a great journey awaiting you. Just ask God to open your eyes to His plan. We'd love to pray for you along this journey, too. Are you facing a difficult situation? Call us and share your prayer requests at 703-771-1500. To hear more great messages from Pastor Gary Hamrick, look us up online at cornerstoneconnection.cc or subscribe to our podcast. You can also take Cornerstone Connection with you on our mobile app to listen to whenever and wherever you are. That's it for today. We pray you continue to see God in your everyday experiences and that you feel His presence in your life today. Be sure to tune in again for another exciting edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know But still you know You're not alone